0: You can have a seat. Corey's getting me through my slides early there. You trying to tell me something? That's right. Well, good morning again. So glad that you're here. I didn't know there was six verses of that song, Corey. That was new to me today. Well, there's a story that goes that there was trouble brewing at the North Side Church. It had been happening over several months between... The preacher, whose name was Frank, and the main song leader, whose name was Bob. And each week as this conflict got a little, a little more intense, it started to spill over into the Sunday morning gatherings. The first week that it became evident, the preacher, Frank, was speaking on commitment and how the congregation should dedicate themselves to the service of God and be committed to him. So at the end of the service, Bob changed the song, and he led the congregation in the old hymn, I Shall Not Be Moved. The second week, Preacher Frank preached on tithing and giving and how we should all gladly offer our treasures and our times and our talents to the Lord. At the end of the service, Bob led the congregation in the song, Jesus Paid It All. In the third week, Preacher Frank preached on gossiping And how everyone should watch their tongues. He was coming out of James. And at the end of the service, Bob led the congregation in the song, I Love to Tell the Story. (laughs) Preacher Frank's frustration began to grow and grow each week. With all this going on, he became disgusted. There was no resolution. So the Sunday that was coming, he told the congregation that he was considering resigning, was just very honest. After he told the congregation that open-heart confession, Bob got up and led the congregation in the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? (laughs) And finally, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. On the fifth Sunday, preacher Frank preached, and he went ahead and solemnly told the congregation, It was Jesus that led me here to this church, and it's Jesus that's taking me away. And he officially made it official He resigned that day. As he sat down, Bob led the congregation. And what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Now that is a great story. Maybe a little too close to the truth, but that's why it's funny. It's funny because it's not only a great little made up preacher joke, but it's also funny because it's a little bit disappointing. Sadly, just as our world is petty and divided we can be petty and divided in fact what we would call that today is tribalism tribalism is what runs the world around us we're about to enter into a new season where all the talk of tribalism will ramp up it's election season again right yay boo right it's like we're always in those seasons it seems like where we'll be exposed to this or that or with you in this camp or that camp. And today we're gonna speak about tribalism. To give us a definition of what that is, tribalism is simply this. It's the exaltation and loyalty that we show to one group above and at the expense of another. And none of us are immune and none of us are innocent of this type of thinking. Tribalism that fractures our world and has been around not just recently but has always been around is also part of us. Some great examples of how this bit studied. In 1954, there was a university professor in Oklahoma by the name <coughs> of Dr. Sharif. He was a psychologist and he wanted to study what happened among young people when competition took hold. So he took two groups of the same type of kids, white, 11-year-old, middle-class, Protestant boys. And he took them to Robbers Cave, Oklahoma. And his goal was just to observe how the children would interact in these two distinct groups. One group was given the name the Eagles and the other the Rattlers. During the first week, they didn't even know each group was still in the same camp. They were separated, but during the second week, the groups were introduced to one another and suddenly competition arose. There wasn't any given competition, but for some reason, just because there was a name Eagles and Rattlers, the next day, the boys came back with chants, making fun of each other. They began to call out rumors among each group's. On the third day of after being introduced to each other, the boys raided each other's camps. They threw stones. They accused each other of cheating in different little sporting events. The Eagles finally on the fourth day stole the Rattlers flag from their flagpole and burned it in front of them. The Rattlers retaliated that night by sneaking into one of the cabins and taking the pants from one of the leaders, painting those pants orange and running it up their flagpole. Each day it got worse. Imaginary grievances were brought up, rumors and gossip. Soon Dr. Sharif, a couple days before the camp was to be out, had to call it off because things were getting violent. Their tribal switch had been flipped. It was like real life, Lord of the Flies. Not too long ago, another social scientist named Hendry Tajful He wanted to build on this study of Robert's Cave all the way back from 1954. So several years ago, he posed this question, not for children, but for adults. It's a great question to study. He said, what is the minimum amount of competition necessary for adults to turn against each other? What's the minimum amount needed? So he tested it by this, doing this. He created two meaningless groups, signed up volunteers. One group was called the overestimator group and the other, the underestimator group. And all the groups were asked to do was to watch a screen. And as dots showed up on the screen, they needed to either, they needed to estimate how many dots they saw. They were told that they were in a group, but they didn't know which one they were in. It really didn't matter. That wasn't the point. They also did not know the names or the faces of any other group. They were asked then, after they took their little test of estimating how many dots, they were asked this. They had two choices for participating in this study. They could one, everybody in both groups could receive a maximum amount of money for participating in the study. Or number two, they could choose that the participants of their group would receive less than the maximum as long as the other group received even less than what they received. And guess what people chose? It meant nothing. There was no competition, but over and over again, rational, well-thinking adults made the irrational choice. They did not choose the equitable, hey, everybody, we all participated, let's all go home with our $10. They decided instead, I'll take $7 as long as the other group I wasn't in has to take three. Why? Well, Dr. Uh, Tajful said this. He said, well, he discovered that people were not rational. What people really are is tribal. So much so that when there's not anything even to fight over, people will still want to win. Reminds me of my favorite senior quote I've ever read in a yearbook. It's not so much that I win, it's that you lose. (laughs) We love that, don't we? Tribalism. The idea that my group holds power at the expense of another. And it is a factor and an idea that describes and holds so much of our minds and what we experience in our world today. But thanks be we have the word of God, because when we get into the latter third of the book of Genesis, which where we'll be today, if you guys want to turn there, we'll be in Genesis 38, we enter the story of Joseph, a son of Jacob, this family that is a story of tribalism. It's a story of favoriting one group over another, one son at the expense of another. And it begins like this. Genesis thirty-eight three. we're going to build this case for tribalism. It says, now Israel, who's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, you might already know this, but this home is hardly harmonious. I would love to get a bunch of men up here and put different hats on them, but we don't have time to do that this morning. I'll just show you the family tree, right, of the patriarchs. This is the way this home is built. Jacob, at this point, in the story of chapter 38, has 11 sons. He has six with his first and less favorite wife, Leah, He has two with Leah's servant, Zilpah, two more with Rachel's servant, Bilhah, and then finally has one son in his old age with his favorite wife, Rachel. Anybody grow up with some sibling rivalry out there? Man, I was the younger brother. I took no more joy in life than beating my older brother at everything, right? Which didn't happen often. But when it did, oh man, right? Now I had nothing on this household and you probably didn't either. Of course, this rivalry probably would have naturally existed, but it's made only worse when the paterfamilias of Jacob is like, let me give Joseph a special coat. That was Jacob's job to clothe his family. But what he does is the coat is not just special, it's another coat. The special robe is not only signaling favoritism, but what he is doing is he is out and out telling the other sons, this is the firstborn. He may be 11th in line, but he's really the chosen one. He's the one who will receive blessing and inheritance. The technicolor dream coat is Joseph's ticket to a first class permanent one up on the rest of his brother's. And so these young men who will become the names of the 12 tribes of Israel won't just be tribes, they are already tribal. So let's see this unfold and see what the brothers do as we pick it up in 37, 18. The brothers have already been told about a dream in which Joseph favors himself. Joseph, as a 17-year-old kid, is now sent out to a field to check on his brothers by his father, and here's what happens. But when they saw him at a distance, and before they re- he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to one another. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brother, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the plot is not yet complete. We're gonna get into more of this story, but I want you to notice a pattern before we get to the plot. The brothers are going to recognize. This is a repeat of how sin appears throughout Scripture, but especially in Genesis. You see, you recognize something you want or you don't want, and you take it. So they recognize Joseph at a distance. And just if Eve recognized the fruit and took it, they recognize Joseph, grab him, strip him of his coat and throw him in a well. Their tribal switch has been flipped. Before they kill him, of course, Reuben talks him out of it. In the the text later on, in verse 26, Judah proposes another plan. He says, instead of killing him, let's sell him. In verse 26, he says, what should we even gain if we kill him? So the brothers... In the story, then sell him to Ishmaelites, wandering traders, Bedouin people. Then they take his coat, they dip it in blood, and they take it back home. Now, I want you think about this pattern. We'll pick it back up in 37, 32, and 33. So they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see if it is your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Again, there's a pattern here. The coat, Joseph's defining accessory, is taken to Jacob. Jacob recognizes it and a conclusion is made. To Jacob now, a favorite son is dead. And this pattern shows up in Joseph's life. His pattern of recognizing, becoming tribal and then doing something that is against God's will. But I want to get to the big point. Because here's where the story of Joseph takes on such meaning to our tribal world. The story of Joseph is trying to teach us that tribalism is the result of or the lack of true recognition. They recognized Their brother, but what did they see? A dreamer, somebody who thinks they're better than us. uh, Jacob recognizes the coat, but what does he see? A dead son. True recognition is what happens when we aren't tribal, but tribalism is the lack of true recognition. We become tribal, we draw enemy lines, we gossip, we stereotype, we put down, we say they are the problem when we fail to recognize what is most true about another. The Rattlers and the Eagles were in the same team at the same camp. The person that you're in conflict is with a neighbor living in the same community. The fellow Christian that you refuse to reconcile with is covered in the blood of Jesus. It's a lack of true recognition. And I think instead of dwelling on our lack of it, I want to dwell on how we solve it. So if tribalism is the lack of true recognition, then let's flip it. The opposite is also true. True recognition defeats, overcomes tribalism in our life. Now, we don't have time to get into this story. Read this at home today. Parents, if your kids want to read it, you want to read it with them. It's chapter 38 of Genesis. It is a strange rated R part of the Bible. Okay? So read it with them. All right? I'm not against you reading. There are rated R parts of the Bible. All right? Some of you Victorians are like, oh, my goodness. All right? It's in there. Right? Song of Solomon. Anyway, it's in there. Enjoy it. Right? But it has a point. And this chapter 38 of Genesis is one of those parts. And I wanted to call a note to it. Judah, let's take note of him. Some might say that he tries to save his brother's life. He says, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And technically that is true, but remember what Judah actually said. Judah in verse 26 is looking out for himself. He says, what shall we gain? His tribal switch is just as flipped as the brothers. Judah is exalting his wealth and his ability to gain something from Joseph at the expense of Joseph. He is doing what causes other tribalism. He is rationalizing, not recognizing. Now, if you keep reading into chapter 38, this rationalization is going to keep up, catch up with him. God is going to keep working on him. In Genesis 38 is a strange tale of Judah and his daughter-in-law named Tamar. The story seems out of place when you get to it. It's weird because Genesis 37 starts with all the story of Joseph and then all the way through chapter 50 is all the rest about Joseph. But then right there in 38, there's this weird story. But the story is really not out of place. It's a story about can these brothers get back on track? It's a chance by Judah to be reconciled and to renounce his tribalism. And the short story of it is, is right after Judah sells Joseph and he takes his coat, Judah finds himself in a sinful and compromised position with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Tamar says, for what you've done, why can't I have a goat? She wants payment for what he's done to her. He doesn't have a goat and instead gives her what the story says is his cord and his signet. Now that is Hebrew language for his coat. Because your cord and your signet, which signified your family, was attached to and sewed to your coat. So he has to leave his coat with Tamar. Tamar later on is accused of adultery and it's brought to Judah's attention. And Judah said, whoever's done this, let's burn him." And then Tamar brings out his coat and says, recognize this? And it's the exact same phrase that the brothers said to Jacob, do you recognize this coat? The Bible's so brilliant, guys. Judah then has to go through a recognition and he has to redeem Tamar and say, yes, that is my coat. And then he takes her to live in his household and he raises her family. The first time Judah rationalized. This time he has to recognize. Which brings up my old 90's rap. You better recognize. Right? And it makes. He moves to being. I got a groan out of that. Uh, (laughs) Thank you Brad. Uh, But he makes a selfless choice. It's the story telling you. That when you recognize. You get to take your tribal switch. And flip it off. And that's. Our first point. If we don't want to be tribal, then it comes from recognizing first our own fallenness. Judah has to realize his own sin. When we recognize our own fallenness, then our tribalism, that enemy making that that I'm better than you because of this, and I did this, and whatever it is, that gets toned down because we all, are on a level playing field. When our tribal switch is on, though, we believe that others are the problem. It's they, it's them, it's Joseph. But the truth is, and we all know this, we know this at communion, we know this as we worship, we know this as we read scripture, that the line of good and evil is not something out there. The line of good and evil doesn't exist outside this building as if we're somehow always wearing a white hat and we're good the line of good and evil runs through every human heart amen and so when we realize our own fallenness when we recognize our need for jesus daily moment to moment let's be honest minute by minute it turns off our tribal switch and when we recognize our own, com- our own fallenness, our conversations and conflicts go from, well, I know to I can be wrong. With those we differ- disagree with, we can stop saying, you're the problem, to tell me more. When we recognize our own fallenness, Humility replaces pride and curiosity, which is a great attribute, replaces obstinance. Now, let's fast forward. This is a huge story, but let's fast forward to the end. Flip to Genesis 45, and we realize that Joseph's been through some ups and downs. But through every up and down, he has thrived He had another issue with a coat. You guys pick up on that? There's another issue with a coat in Potiphar's house where the coat gets stripped off of him again. But this time, instead of forcefully stripping, he leaves his status behind. He's figuring things out. Now, though, after some prison time, he finds himself second command over all of Egypt. He's been in prison. He's been rescued from prison by the hand of Pharaoh and his wisdom has... And his love for the Lord has given him such blessing. Now he's head of food distribution for the country during seven years of famine, and into his presence walks the problem, the brothers, the tribes. Now they don't recognize him, but he recognized them and he sends them on their way after this first visit. They come back and they their second visit and it's there that he, although he's made the recognition that he, Joseph, takes steps to let them recognize him. Let's pick it up in verse four. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. See, my fallenness, if I'm unwilling to admit my fallenness, people cannot get close to me, amen? But when we are willing to say, I mess up too, I can be wrong. It's not I could be wrong. It's I am sometimes wrong and I can, I can be and will be and I could be wrong in this situation. Then people can come close. When they had done so, In their nearness to him, he says, "I am your brother Joseph." Don't you want to see? Man, I know the Prince of Egypt, which is a pretty good cartoon. They did that's about Moses. You know, I don't know if they've done a good Joseph story yet. I don't know. We need more good Christian material out there. I guess the 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 Chosen is a great series. I really enjoy that. But if you can picture this as a movie, can't you just see the? Oh, I'm your brother. The one you sold into Egypt, and they're probably thinking, "Uh oh, but look at how he responds. He recognizes their true selves, what is most true about them. And instead of accusing them, he says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping and then it closes with this, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is the second thing I want us to hear as we wrap up this morning. It's not only recognizing our own fallenness overcomes tribalism, but I think the next Very important step to not live like this world of tribalism is for us to recognize God's work in others and how that overcomes tribalism. Joseph is able to say to his brothers, I see that God not only put me here, but now God has put you here and that is incredible and let's praise him for it. It's God's work that God has been up to all this. See guys, tribalism. I'm going to say something really strong. And I know this word is not is is messed up and we we our our world has kind of used it wrong. I'm going to use it correctly because there are things that are this way. Tribalism is anti-Christ. Okay? That's the word I want to use. I tried to think of what's the right word for what tribalism is. It is anti-Christ. anti-God because it always puts one group above another. Now it's not easy, but it is simple because Jesus said to us this, right? He destroyed tribalism. When he forgave people from the cross, he was putting tribalism to death. And he also said, love your neighbor, but he also said what? Love your enemy. It's not easy, but it is Antidote to tribalism is simple. He told us what to do, put others first. Not when it's easy, but especially when it's hard. Serve each other. And then he did it for us. When we were his enemies, he didn't flip the tribal switch. He didn't set out to make sure that we knew we were lost. He died for us. And then Jesus founded the one and only group on earth, whose sole purpose. You might say, well, churches are tribal. Yeah, but the church exists to always put other tribes above itself. And when churches fail to do that, do they not fail and stop being the church anyway? The church exists to give itself away. The church exists to put others first. And that's what Jesus calls us to. He calls us into this way of life a way of community to set aside our self interest, to set aside the personal advantages we can take over others. Now, of course, we're all going to fall short of that mark. How many of us perfectly love our enemies? None of us. Probably more often than we want to admit this morning. But this is the key when we realize that God is at work in everybody. And that God wants every person. You may say, well, God's not working everybody. Yes, but God's desire is that everybody comes to know him. So I would think that God is at work in everybody. And when we realize what Jesus has given us, our fallen selves who were his one-time enemy, he has given us an inexhaustible well of grace, then I can realize I don't really have enemies I don't really need a tribe that puts itself above another because the true enemy is already defeated sin and death and then I'm free to lay down those lines I was going through this yesterday with my wife and after I kind of walked through this she's, she's smarter than me and she said you know what I love about the story She said, I love that it's the recognition of who Joseph is doesn't come to full fruition until there's forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? It's awesome. When he offers, hey, God did this and I hold nothing against you, they go, it's Joseph. And that's true for us. When we lay down our tribal ways, we lay those things down and we offer forgiveness and love and we love like Jesus loves, then we're able to look at the other and say, God is still doing something. God is still active. And thank God he's doing that in me. And thank God that he's doing that in you. That's the story of Joseph. Man. Now you're gonna have to fight for that in the months and weeks to come, right? Donkeys and elephants are going to fight for your attention. Oh, and they're going to get some of you, and you're going to put it on Facebook, and we're going to forgive you, right? But you're going to have to fight. Not with people, but you need to learn to fight, and the church has got to stand up to fight to love our enemy and to follow the Lamb. Because tribalism is antichrist because Christ died for everybody you need some Jesus this morning we're here to pray for you got a couple elders that'll be out in our foyer pray for you out there too if you need anything else we'd love to just lift it up praise concerns anything let's stand together and let's sing